You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning, everybody. I was wondering to myself this morning, um, would it be acceptable to call myself a visiting speaker to the centre this morning, given that I've come from downstairs? Would that be okay? (laughs) What do you reckon, Michael? Do I qualify as a visiting speaker? (laughs) Um, The title of the message this morning is Come Dine With Me. And in my humble experience, the passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning is one of the clearest pictures in the Old Testament of God's grace. We're going to be looking this morning at 2 Samuel chapter 9, and it tells the story of a guy called Mephibosheth. Now, you're impressed at my pronunciation of that name, aren't you? Can you tell that I've had to practice it over and over? I've been going around at home going, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. If anyone heard me, I actually think this poor guy's name sounds a bit like a sneeze. It's a bit like, you know, if you go... (laughs) It sounds like Mephibosheth, you know, or if you met this guy and you said, what's your name? And he said, my name's Mephibosheth. I'd say, it's lovely to meet you. (laughs) I mean, seriously, what kind of a name this poor guy has? So this morning, we're going to be taking a look at his story in 2 Samuel. And, you know, this this guy's story is, is intriguing. And as I read it and studied it over the last couple of weeks, I was reminded afresh yet again of just the supernatural nature of God's word. You know, when I first became a Christian and I started to read the Bible, it was one-dimensional to me. I'd read about somebody like Mephibosheth and I'd think, that's a cool story about a guy that lived thousands of years ago, doesn't really have any relevance to my life. And yet, as I grew in Christ and I started to see the depths of scripture and how the Old Testament links to the New Testament, and how the characters in the Old Testament are basically stories about you and about I. So this morning, as we're looking at the story of Mephibosheth, we're also going to break out, as we work through the story, we're going to look at the story contained within the story, and how the story of Mephibosheth is essentially a story about you and about I. Are you up for that this morning? Anybody seen this picture before? Give us a show of hands. Okay. So this is Pat O'Connell, a fishmonger in the English market here in Cork City. And you may recognize the lovely lady beside him in the green jacket as the Queen of England. Well, back in 2011, the Queen came to visit Cork. And she decided to take a stroll through the English market as part of her visit. And she stopped at Pat O'Connell's fish stall. And this picture became famous ever since. It went viral all over the world. And as you can see in this picture, the queen is having a good chuckle for herself. I don't know if you know the story behind this picture, but the story goes that apparently Pat O'Connell points at an ugly monkfish on his stand. And then he looks at the queen mother, or sorry, at the queen, and he says to her, this is the mother-in-law fish. (laughs) And she chuckles out loud. And obviously they made a, a connection on this day. And the amazing thing is, is that three years after Pat O'Connell met the Queen in the English market, one day he receives an invitation unexpectedly in the post. The Queen is hosting a banquet or a reception at Buckingham Palace in the UK 
because President Higgins from Ireland is visiting the UK, and in his honour, she throws a little party in Buckingham Palace, as you do, and she sends Pat O'Connell an invitation to come to Buckingham Palace to her party. What an unlikely guest at the palace, a fishmonger from the English market in Cork. Well, this morning's story about Mephibosheth is also the story of an unlikely invitation to the palace. Now, before we jump into the story, let's just set the scene. We're jumping right into the book, 2 Samuel, verse 9. I want us to just understand who the different characters are in this story. So first off, we have King Saul here on the left, the first king of Israel, God's chosen people. Bit of an unpredictable character. Secondly, we have Jonathan, his son. And thirdly, we have David. David the shepherd, the same David who killed Goliath, who went on to serve in the king's palace. And David grew in popularity and strength as he served in the king's palace. So much so that even Jonathan, King Saul's son, loved him dearly. He loved him so much that he was known to say in scripture quotes that he says, I loved him as I loved my own soul. Basically, Jonathan and David became BFFs. Now, if you don't know what a BFF is, where have you been living? <laughs> best friends forever. These guys were besties. They were like that, much to King Saul's dismay, because David became so popular in the palace that King Saul began to grow a little bit green with envy. In fact, he tried to even kill him a few times. And thanks to his BFF, Jonathan, watching his back, he was able to warn him and make sure that nothing happened to him. So these BFFs, Jonathan and David, go on to make a promise to each other. They're such good friends that they make a covenant, a promise, that no matter what, no matter what the future brings, they will look after each other's family. They will take care of them no matter what. And the story goes on, and King Saul and his son Jonathan both die in battle. David is appointed as king. So we're about to join the story. David has been on the throne as the second king of Israel. He's established his kingdom, fought off the enemies. And just as things are about to settle down, suddenly he remembers the covenant, the promise that he and his BFF made all of those years ago. And this is where we jump into the story. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn now to 2 Samuel 9. We're going to read verses through 1 to 8, and then we're going to read a slightly abridged of the last couple of lines of that chapter. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Emil in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Machir, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, 
came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Jumping to verse 10. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. So Mephibosheth ate at the David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. So let's start to break this story down. The first thing that I want us to look at in this passage of scripture this morning is Mephibosheth's condition. We're told that he was lame in both feet, and yet the passage of scripture that we just read doesn't tell us how he came to be lame. We see in an earlier verse in Samuel what actually happened to him. And basically, his lameness came about as a result of a fall. When he was five years old, news came that his father and grandfather had died in battle. And as was custom at the time, any that were in the lineage of the king, when a new king was going to be on the throne, custom was that they were to be killed to protect the new throne for the new king who was going to be David. So when this news comes of the death of his father and his grandfather, the nurse that is looking after him, this five-year-old, she grabs him up in haste, knowing that his life is in danger, and goes to flee with him and sadly drops him. And he becomes lame in both of his feet, unable to walk as a result. Now, you see, to be lame back in that culture wasn't like now. If you cannot use your legs now, you, you know, really, you're the same as anybody else. Back then, however, you were seen as an absolute outcast. You had no status in society. It would have possibly been viewed as God's judgment that this had happened to you. You were separated, unclean, of no value to society at that time. The second thing we learn about Mephibosheth is hidden in his name. The name Mephibosheth means shameful one, shameful. Now, isn't it bad enough already that the guy has a name that sounds like a sneeze that no one can pronounce? And now we know that his name means shameful. Now, this is something I personally can relate to. I'm the youngest of a family of five. I had three older brothers growing up. And my brothers were so lovely that when I was about three or four years old, they decided, wouldn't it be really funny if every couple of months we gave her a name, a nickname, and then we keep adding to it. And over the years, she'll get this really long, stupid nickname that'll be hilarious. Yes, I have lovely brothers. <laughs> Hello, brothers, if you're listening online, bless you. So do you want to know what my brothers called me? Okay, are you ready now? Brace yourself. You thought Mephibosheth was bad. My nickname was Paddy Ann Slobber Cabbage Knickerbocker Glory Smelly Nelly Belly Bum. Do you think I made that up? I'll say it again just to prove that I didn't. Paddy Ann Slobber Cabbage Knickerbocker Glory Smelly Nelly Belly Bum. It's lovely, isn't it? 
it's lovely having older brothers. So his name meant shameful. The next thing that we learn about Mephibosheth's condition is where he lived. We read in the passage of scripture that he lived in a place called Lodibar. Now the name Lodibar means no pasture. It means nothingville. It means in the middle of nowhere. Don't think that Lodibar was just this random place mentioned in the Bible that Mephibosheth decided to go and live. Remember, he was a man of no status, a man who was deemed unclean. He basically was living in the back of beyonds, the middle of nowhere. Not only was it bad enough that when you met this guy and you, you'd say, what's your name? And you'd say, nice to meet you, because <laughs> you couldn't pronounce his name. But if you said to him, where are you from? And he said, Lodibar, you'd go, where? It reminds me a little bit of when I met my husband. And I said to him, where are you from? And he said, Ballyhee. And I said, where? What? In the middle of nowhere. <laughs> this place, Lodibar, was Nothingville. Nothing happened there. You could imagine the tumbleweed just rolling through that town. A place where outcasts would live. We also know that from the story of how he came to be lame, that his family had died. He was without a father, he was without a grandfather. In essence, this guy was a nobody from nowhere. I can safely say, if Mephibosheth had access to social media at that time, he would not have used the hashtag, living my best life. We're going to jump to the story within the story and how the story of Mephibosheth is a picture of you and of I before we become children of God. How does our story relate to Mephibosheth's story? Well, the first thing we looked at with Mephibosheth was that he became lame as a result of a fall. You and I are spiritually lame, spiritually crippled, because of a fall, because of when sin entered the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve, and we became separated from God, exiled, unable to stand in his presence because we were not fit. We could not meet his standards, dropped from God's favor, alienated from God because of our sin. You and I are Mephibosheth. In the same way that his name means shameful, you and I were shameful before the living God. Moving to point two within the story of Mephibosheth. We, we hear that in the passage that we read, David says, is there anyone, anyone from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Now, a more likely question that David really should have asked at that time, given the custom, was, is there anyone so that I can execute them, so that I can chop their head off and make sure that my throne is secure? And yet he says, is there anyone that I may show them kindness for the sake of Jonathan? There's the key, for the sake of Jonathan. You see, it was because of the covenant that he had made with Mephibosheth's father, that he showed him mercy and grace and kindness. 
It wasn't who Mephibosheth was. It was all about who his daddy was. Do you get the picture? What amazing grace was shown to this guy. Suddenly his life is interrupted. I really want us to think about Mephibosheth living in Lodibar with no status. This guy can't leave the place. He can't work. He has nothing going from him, an outcast. And one day when he's living in someone else's house, it's not even his own house, the passage of scripture says, the son of Machir's house, suddenly he hears hooves outside coming towards his house. And this guy has lived all of his life in fear, knowing as a potential heir to the throne that his life would be at risk because of this custom. So one day I can just imagine him hearing these hooves coming outside and parting the curtains and looking out, and all of the fear that he had lived with all of those years coming into fruition in that moment as he sees the king's guardsmen arrive on horses outside. And we don't hear in the passage an awful lot about the exchange that goes on between them, but one thing that we do know is that they didn't tell him why the king wanted him, because the story goes on to say that these guardsmen bring him before the king in the palace. That must have been the longest journey of his life. As they say in Cork, he must have sweated about a thousand bricks on the way to that castle. Can you imagine how his life flashed before his eyes, thinking, this is it? I was a nobody in, no, no, in Lodibar, and now this is it? I'm going to be killed? And when he comes before the king, and he prostrates himself before the king, and he says, Mephibosheth, at your service. And he says to the king, what do you want with a dead dog like me? What kind of language is that that he's using? A dead dog? Why is he referring to himself as a dead dog? You see, never before had Mephibosheth been so conscious of his condition as when he came before the king, knowing that he had nothing to offer him. Could he be a soldier in the king's palace? Could he be a guardsman in the king's palace? Could he work for the king? He had nothing to barter with, nothing. He came as he was. And we see the response that he gets from David. His response to him is, do not be afraid. I am going to show you kindness. Wow. Kindness and grace is what he receives when he should deserve death, when he should deserve all of the wrath of the king. Back to the story within the story. The story of Mephibosheth is your story and it's my story. God comes to us where we're at, in our crippled spiritual condition, and we have nothing to offer him. We are completely unqualified, nothing to give him. And yet, just as he showed kindness and grace to Mephibosheth for the sake of who his daddy was, we too can experience the absolute grace and kindness and favor of the king 
because of the covenant that our daddy has made with God, because of the covenant offered up on the cross. You know, my life was interrupted when I was 19 years old, just as Mephibosheth's life was interrupted in Lodibar. I was going about my own business in college, having a good time. God wasn't, you know, he wasn't really a part of my life at that stage. And I thought, who needs God? And then one day I heard the gospel preached. You see, I'd always known that Jesus Christ had died on a cross, but I never, ever understood why. I thought that he had died on a cross so that he could show us how to come to the earth, you know, live a really good, noble life as a human being and give us example as to how we could live. That was my understanding. But then this day that I heard the gospel preached for the first time, I saw my condition before the living God. I knew I had nothing to offer. I knew that I did not meet the standard that he's, he requires to be in his presence, the perfection. And then I understood the significance of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, how he poured out his blood. He took the payment for my sin and for your sin so that we may be reconciled to the Father. And that covenant that he made with the Father allows us to receive the grace and the kindness of the King. That just blows me away. We are unqualified to stand in his presence. The Bible says that even our good works are like filthy rags before him. You know what? Sometimes we need to be reminded that we come before the King with nothing nothing. Sometimes we forget that as we go on in our walk, don't we? And we think up on our high horse, you know, <laughs> looking at others. None of us have anything. Two people in the world, isn't there? Sinners and sinners saved by grace. That's it. Humility is so important when we come before the king. Moving on to our third point, Mephibosheth restored. Four times we read in the passage of scripture, you will eat at the king's table. And you have to understand this invitation to eat at the king's table that Mephibosheth receives. It's not a dinner party for one night. This is an invitation to become part of the family of the king, to become a son or a daughter it's not a dinner party. Get that image out of your head. And you have to understand the culture at this time. Who you ate with at this time determined their status. You know what? It's not all that different now. Years ago, my sister got a very unusual job one summer, working as a nanny in the, with the royal family in Luxembourg. And she lived in the palace, and she looked after their children. And, you know, she got to spend all, their, all of her days with the royal kids and teaching them how to do their wave and whatnot. But when it came to dinner time of the royal family, she didn't eat with them. She went back into the quarters where all those working in the palace lived. They had separate fridges, separate chefs, separate places to eat. And you know, it was the same back in biblical times. Think about in the, in, in the book of Luke, when Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. It drove the Pharisees ballistic. Why? Because he was eating with people that they deemed to have no status. 
And just by eating with them, he was giving them status. And it drove these religious Pharisees bananas. That's the God that we serve. Jesus said to these Pharisees, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not called the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, eating with somebody is an intimate affair. And you might say, really, is it? Well, why is it the quintessential date activity? Why do so many people go for a meal on their first or second date? Sometimes I travel with work. I have to stay away uh, without my family in a hotel here and there. And um, you might think, oh, that's lovely. Really, it's not. It's very boring when you're on your own. And anyone who does it knows that. And I hate the part of the evening where you have to go for food. And you walk down to the dining room in the hotel, and you stand at that, you know, where you stand to get a seat. And they say, table for two? And you say, no, it's just me on my own. And you're shown to a table, and you're hoping it'll be in a corner where nobody's going to see you. And then every now and again, as you're looking at the menu, a waitress passes by and goes, are you waiting for somebody? And you're like, no, I'm just me, Billy, no mates. <laughs> Thanks very much. And you know, I always end up taking out my phone and trying to find some virtual dinner mates on like Instagram or Facebook, just so I don't look like so much of a Billy, no mates in the corner. It's just really awkward. And it's because eating is an intimate activity. It's why it's so awkward to eat alone. It's all about relationship. Back to the story within the story. You and I are restored, just like Mephibosheth. We are brought into an intimate and ongoing relationship with Christ. And eating at his table is a confirmation of our new standing before Christ. We are adopted as sons and as daughters of the King. He restores everything that was lost to us, just as Mephibosheth was given the inheritance that his father would have been due, everything. You and I become co-heirs with Christ, and we become entitled to inherit everything, everything that he has and is entitled to. This morning, as we move towards a close, I want us to think again. I am Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. And everything changes when the king comes calling. Your condition, my condition, your position and my position drastically alters forevermore. Jesus comes into our Lodi bar, our desolate place, and he invites us to come to his palace to dine with him always as sons and as daughters who are entitled to an inheritance that Jesus Christ has. Not only that, but we are also given a future. We are given a place at the marriage supper of the Lamb for all eternity. Does that excite you? Me too. I'm going to call the worship team up. And this morning, from the passage that we've looked at, there's three prayers that I want to pray, three people groups that I want to speak to. The first is this. You may never, ever, ever before have heard about this royal invitation. You may never have realized your condition before the king before. And this morning, remember, just as David said, is there anyone 
Did he say, is there anyone with the right qualifications? Did he say, is there anyone with the right behavior? Did he say, is there anyone with the right set of skills? Did he say, is there anyone who's done the best acts of service? No. Is there anyone in your crippled spiritual condition? Anyone. If that's you this morning, we're going to pray that you would accept the invitation of the King, recognizing your condition before him today. For the second group of people, this is a specific word that I believe God would speak to some of you. For some here, you've known the invitation of the King for a long time. You've understood it. You know your condition. And yet, God would say to you, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. To some here today, God would say, choose this day whom you will serve. You do not know if you have tomorrow. Finally, for those of us who are already Christians, you know, the enemy works overtime trying to undermine your identity and my identity in Christ. He doesn't want us to remember that we're sons and daughters of the King. He doesn't want us to remember the grace that has been imparted to us, even though we're undeserving. He will amplify the piece about how undeserving we are, and he will undermine our sonship in Christ. It is far more common than you, than you may believe how many Christians go about every day thinking that they're worthless, that they're still living back in Lodibar. You know what? We're all worthless. And yet, the king invites us to dine at his table. He brings us into intimate relationship. This morning, for some of you, you need to be reminded again afresh of who you are in Christ. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'd like you to examine your hearts before the Lord this morning. And then we're going to pray together. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, all will see how great, how great is our God, how great our God, sing with me, how great is our God, all will see how great, how great is our God. If you know this morning that you want to accept the King's invitation for the first time, to come and become a son or daughter of the King. Or if you know this morning that you've been faltering between two positions and you need to make a commitment to the Lord this morning. And finally, if you know this morning that you need a fresh reminder of who you are in Christ and all of what has been imparted to you by the grace of our King, can you just raise your hand and we're all going to pray together collectively. I'm not going to invite you to the front, but I am going to invite you to just place your hands out before you as an acknowledgement to God that this, 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 you mean to do business with him this morning. 
Lord God, we are we have nothing to offer you, Lord God. We are so conscious of our condition as we come to you, Lord God. And for those here this morning, Lord Jesus, who have never ever responded to your invitation before, we pray this morning, Lord God, that they would hear you say to them, do not be afraid. I am willing and want to show you kindness. And Lord, that they would come into that intimate and ongoing relationship with you, that they would be converted to become sons and daughters of the King with a future that is secure. We pray, Lord God, now that they would just speak to you in their own hearts, Lord God, that they would confess their condition to you, Lord God, and that they would accept your grace and invitation. And I pray the same for those here who've been faltering, knowing that you need to make a commitment and yet you have not. I pray and urge you this morning to come before the King. Choose today whom you will serve. Do business with your Father in heaven this morning. Ask him once and for all that you may come into his palace, that you may have a seat at his table, that you may dine with him and be in relationship with him and be forgiven and imparted the grace like Mephibosheth. And for all of us this morning who need a fresh reminder of our identity in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would just spiritually this morning, Lord, reawaken our gratitude Open our eyes again afresh, Lord God, to how you brought us back in, Lord God, to your palace. You brought us back in from nowhere, Lord, as nobodies, and you made us sons and daughters of the King, co-heirs with Christ to all that is yours. And we are so grateful, Lord God. I pray for those who have, Lord, had the enemy come and undermine their sonship and undermine their identity, Lord, that it would end today in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord God, that you would enable them now by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to have fresh revelation of who they are in Christ. Let them see again, Lord God, what it is you've done for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close in prayer, will we? Can I invite you? We might be fed up of it, but it's okay. I can invite you to raise your hands to heaven. To raise your hands up. And like I said always, our hands are our heart. It's just a demonstration. It's a physical demonstration, a reminder even to ourselves to pray. Let's pray as we close this morning. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Lord, that as we go out the door today, as we cross the threshold and back into our lives, Lord, our live-a-day lives, I pray, Lord, that we would remember... I pray, Lord, all of this week we would remember who you are, Lord. We would remember who you have called us to be, Lord. We would remember your power, your purpose, and your provision at work in our lives, Lord. In every situation we face, Lord, I pray we would remember you, Lord. Whether, Lord, we are on the mountaintop or in the valley, Lord. Whether we are facing triumph or temptation, Lord, I pray this week we would remember, remember, remember the Lord. Remember what he has called us. Remember what he has provided for us, Lord. I pray this week, Lord, that you would bless us and go with us. Be our provider and our keeper. Until we assemble again in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. God bless you and go with you, brothers and sisters. We're going to be here again on Tuesday night. Don't forget we have our baptism study at 2 p.m. in Cafe Church. We're here again on Tuesday night for the anointing of oil. And we'll begin again. At 12 noon, the guys are going to play us out. God bless you.